A very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Growing Dentist Podcast Show. This is the place where dentists come to learn about how to create a bigger life, a bigger future, with regards to time, money, purpose, and relationship. This is Naren, your host. I'm also the founder of Equa Marketing, EKWA.com. We help dentists crush their competition and dominate their market online. Today, I'm super excited to have a dear friend, Sean Crabtree, on the show with me. Sean is the founder of the Crabtree Group, a company that focuses on developing and implementing business strategies that result in phenomenal growth for dental practices. He has 20 plus years of experience. He is a guy who has fun. Even today, he's going to be going out boarding in like 90 minutes. So we're <laughs> the only one keeping him here. Uh, so um, Sean, uh, it's a unique pleasure and I'm super excited to have you on our show for the first time. So thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us today. Naren, it is, it is absolutely my pleasure. Um, every time you and I are together, I have a lot of fun. I can't, I can't wait to do it again. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you're having fun, you know, hopefully the listeners will have fun. So let's have some fun. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do. And by the way, I don't know if, uh, just, just, I don't know if the microphone is picking it up, but we have a lot of construction going on upstairs. So if you hear the banging around, um, they're just, there, there's a whole lot of construction guys going on and I, I couldn't, I couldn't make them stop near So, so hopefully, hopefully it won't pick up. Yeah, actually I, I'm not hearing anything. I'm just hearing just your voice. So that's perfect. Okay. Good, good. So before we jump in, I know we're going to talk about, you know, case acceptance and really dive into, you know, everything you learned in 20 years, uh, you know, 30 minute period, but before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where are you coming from? Who are you, Sean? Man, I I, I would I appreciate the opportunity to do that, Naren. I, by the way, let me just say I love the theme of your show. Um, you know, a bigger life with regards to time, money, purpose, and relationships. And in my book, that's all that there is is time, money, purpose, and relationships. Uh, I really love that. Um, and we sort of look at things the same way, you and I, uh, as we've discovered every time we're, we're together. Um, you know, I started, my, my journey began uh, right out of college. I started in the telecommunications industry. And, of course, you have to understand this is the dark ages, Naren. Um, this is when, this is when uh, they didn't even call it telecommunications. When I first got in telecommunications, it was called cellular telephony. This is how old I am. Uh, if you can remember back in the day, you used to dial 611 from your cell phone and that would get you to customer care. Well, when I started in that industry, customer care was Susan at my office. And at 830, uh, she turned the phone off and went home to the kids. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> we're, we're talking the early days of, uh, of cellular technology. And it was a, a tremendous <clears throat> not only learning experience, it was a lot of fun for me. Um, as most industries do when they mature, roll up happens, consolidation happens. And so this was the, this was the, um, this was, this was like 1990, sorry, 91. <clears throat> uh, maybe it was 1990. And so, um, as the industry became more and more consolidated, roll-up happened and buyouts were happening, and I was no longer really able to take care of my clientele at the highest level. Um, I was responsible for a tri-state area in the southeast. Uh, I was in sales. I was an account executive. In addition to that, I was also training um, people under me in those areas on things like how to create value, um, all of the things that honestly that that I do today, but the uh, the real the real uh, if I could tell a quick story the real uh, kicker for me happened when I used to come into the office and I would go into the uh, into the stock room to get supplies and so forth for my clientele, 
And this last particular buyout, my company was called Cellular One at the time, and many of your listeners will remember Cellular One. Yeah, I do remember Cellular One. Cellular One was a franchise uh, scenario, and uh, long story short, I mean, we had total autonomy. There were six of us on this team. We made all the decisions. We were able to take care of our clientele at the highest level, however we saw fit. And, uh, and, and the first couple of buyouts really didn't affect us that big. The last buyout, the company that bought us, was, was called GTE Wireless. They employed 675,000 people worldwide at that time. And I came in, the last straw for me was I came in one day, I had a, a really quick trip, I had to get back out the door. I ran into the stock room and the door was locked. And I went to Susan, who I mentioned earlier a moment ago, and I said, uh, hey, I, I, can't, I can't, something's wrong with the door in the stock room. And she said, no, it's a new policy. You'll have to fill out a, a form. It's a number six. You'll see it right beside the fax machine. Oh, okay. So I ran back to the fax machine. I'm looking for a form number six. I can't find it. I said, Susan, I'm about to run out of time. I can't find a form number six. She goes, oh, so here's what you have to do. She pulled out this form. This is a form number nine. I said, what is a number nine? She said, you have to fill out this form so we can reorder the forms. And then when we, once we get the forms in, then you'll be able to get into the stock room. Oh, I said, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. This is ridiculous. That is when the real corporate, uh, corporatization sort of hit me. And so um, about this time, I'll, I'm trying to make this short, Aaron. About this time, um, one of my clients was um, a, a dentist who had started a company with Tony Robbins. I didn't really understand what he did, but I knew that he was very successful at it. One day, about the time that this last straw happened, I walked into his office. They were moving to a different office. They had everything in the office boxed up, and they were moving to a different location. And one of the boxes had turned over. And so I was helping the girls pick up the box. Inside the box were years of very heartfelt letters from dentists all over the world uh, about the impact that he had on their life. And I knew right then he had tried to recruit me for a couple of years. And I knew right then when I saw those letters, that was the thing that I was missing. So I started talking to him pretty seriously. And then I found out the degree to which um, this concept that you and I are going to talk about, which is, I call it value creation. In dentistry, it's called treatment acceptance. I found out how lacking healthcare in general, as I began to work with him a little bit and find out more and more about what it is that he does, I was amazed at all the things that I was training these 20-somethings on. I was amazed at how, how many levels above um, healthcare that really is. Um, at the time, there was this real negative sort of connotation to the word sales in healthcare in general and specifically in dentistry. And so it was a really, it became super attractive to me because I, it was like, it was like as a young guy, I could speak a language that I'd been working with for almost a decade. Um, and I come to this arena, it was almost like a new planet. Uh, like I was the only one who knew the language and, and they didn't really know how to do it. And that was a really attractive scenario for a young guy like me. So I jumped ship. I left my stock options and found out later I left my, uh, uh, all of my investments and, and I didn't realize that at the time, but I still would have made the same decision. I jumped ship and, uh, and totally made the dive into, into dentistry. That's great. That was about 21 years ago. That was a super long answer to a very short question. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, that's definitely, you know, a great, great story about, you know, when people stop thinking and, you know, rules take over, you don't want to be there anymore. Well, that's the truth. When, when, when things, when, when things like relationships uh, and, and purpose uh, take a back seat to regulations and rules, um, that's when you lose the ability to care for people at the highest level, in my opinion. And I think that's in any industry across the board. Um, I got the opportunity. I was so excited when I first got into this business. Um, anybody on earth who said they needed help, I was coming to the rescue. 
And so for the first probably 10 years in this business, I had clients from Barbados all over to all over Western Canada, um, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, all the way down into uh, the Caribbean, the Bahamas, Nassau, and so forth. Anybody who really said that they wanted help, uh, I was ready to come to the rescue. And so I traveled for about 205 days a year, giving of myself for, uh, for a lot of years until I guess probably around the year 2000. I think that's right. 9-11 happened in 2001. Is that right? I think that's right. So yeah. in, the year, in the year 2000, um, I had a real, what I call a point of clarity. Um, I, uh, I, I uh, was in a hunting accident on a farm that my family and I have. I'd given someone permission to hunt. And the short version of the story is he broke all the rules of hunter safety. And so he shot me in the head uh, from 40 yards with a 12 gauge. Jeez. And so for a year, my vocal cords were paralyzed. Um, I had to have several surgeries on my left eye. I've got a really neat scar that, uh, that goes from my left earlobe all the way down to my um, sternum. It was, uh, it was a life-changing uh, situation. It's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. But the thing that I learned is 205 days a year away from my family and given of myself like that uh, was, uh, was, was probably not the best approach. So I took a look at, at everybody that I had as clientele and I started uh, sort of making a list in, in terms of who was really implementing the things that I was asking them to do and, and who did I really enjoy working with. And, and long story short, I, I, I let go 50% of my clientele and I made a commitment that from that point forward, um, I'm not going to uh, work with anybody unless they are a really good fit for us. And if they're a good fit for us, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. But uh, it was a long, it was a, it was a long, hard way to learn the lesson that you hear so often repeated, and that is, you can take the horse to drink to the water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> right, right. So, who is the client who's a good fit for you? That's a great question. And you and I were talking about this, um, you know, in your business, I think I ask you the same question and it's not unlike yours at all. Really, there's a lot of similarities for us. We're looking for some very specific things. We're looking for, we're looking for someone who is seriously at the deep, at the heart level interested in growth so much so they're, that they're not going to allow uh, their beliefs to hold them back. Um, they're not going to allow <clears throat> limitations or how things have been done in the past to hold them back. They are really interested in growth. We're looking for somebody who is understands the value of relationships at the highest level. And at the end of the day, um, we're looking for somebody who is willing to challenge themselves and challenge the people around them. I've become very good over the years at, at, at qualifying that every once in a while I, uh, I miss one, but, uh, but for the most part, we, uh, we do a pretty good job of, of vetting our clientele. And, and obviously, we look, we look the other way around, too. We, we're expecting our clientele to vet us. Um, you know, the, the other part of the, the fourth thing I would say to that is we're looking for somebody who shares the same beliefs, the same values that we do. Right. Yeah, I mean, the things we look for, the three things is uh, growth mindset, which is your first uh, one. Second is appreciation, appreciating self and others, because we find people who appreciate themselves and others tend to have fun and tend to be nice people to be around and people tend to work harder for those people. Um, yes. And third, third is team, team mindset, which is like, you know, uh, not like I know it all and you, I micromanage you, but rather I, I take the time to get to know you, understand your strengths, and then I work with you. So those are the three mindsets of our most successful clients. And we find when those when our clients have these three mindsets, we have a relationship that can go on for years and years and many times for decades. So, and 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 the uh, sky's the limit in terms of the in terms of the growth potential. Exactly, 
And uh, in our case, because we do marketing, we make the phone ring, we generate half a million phone calls. Um, you know, it's a great relationship. We that's do our thing, they do their thing, and uh, together we grow the business. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Thank and you. That's, one of, that's one of the things that we, uh, you know, I, I, just, since you gave me that opportunity by mentioning that, I mean, I would have to say that that's one of the biggest challenges over the last 20 plus years that, 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 uh, that we spend the most time on. I mean, you're not, you know, you know, the goal of the marketing company is simply to make the phone ring. Now what happens from the time the phone rings <laughs> to the time the patient accepts the treatment, that's up to the practice and the mindset that's going on in the practice and the processes and the systems that you have in place. Right. So let's talk about that. How do you get somebody to accept treatment or how do you create value for a patient? Well, it's a great question. And, um, you know, the first part of it, I think, is is not to be overlooked, which is that call, that phone call. Um, it's it it is a it plays a big role. Um, if if the offices that if, if there's an office that we're working with, one of the first things that we try to do is get them to connect to who it is and how it is and what it is and where it is that they want to be, and then we generate that or, or turn that into a vision. And that should be the first filter through which um, you're looking for the patients that you're trying to attract. Now that, that probably goes hand in hand with what you're doing with the marketing. I mean, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're drilling down to very specific targets of marketing that you're trying to get to certain people. And so that's one of the things that we, that we uh, spend a lot of time on is making sure that the office is clear about who it is that they want to be so that they can attract the right kind of people. If they're working with somebody like you, then from a demographic standpoint, all the other standpoints, that's already been nailed down. When the, when the patient calls from the marketing then, properly qualifying the patient, having the patient um, understand, and this is key, Having the patient understand that perhaps the reason they picked up the phone to make the call is not the only reason that they should be coming in. And so in short, what you're trying to do to properly qualify the patient, and this is the first step toward creating value, what you're trying to do in properly qualifying the patient on the initial call is you're trying to make sure that the patient uh, doesn't have any surprises when they come in the door. You want to make sure that we don't have any surprises when they come in the door. We want to make sure that all expectations are the same. You want to make sure that the patient has a, a, a proper realization for what it is that might happen when they come in. Those and, and making sure those, those all line up to making sure that the patient is in a buying sort of a mindset. The particulars, I guess, of, of what I'm saying or a different way to say what I'm saying is really um, – Everybody listening to this has run into the scenario where the patient picks up the phone from the great marketing and they call the practice and they call the practice and they ask a single question. Maybe that question is, what do you charge for a crown? Maybe that question is, when could you see me for a cleaning? Maybe that question is, what do you charge for a cleaning? Whatever those questions are. Now, at that point, we've got an opportunity to take control of the call and ask the questions and bring the patient to the proper realization or we simply schedule the patient. And if we simply schedule the patient, then you've all run into this where, you know, the patient shows up, the, uh, the doctor looks in the mouth, there's $12,000 worth of work, and the patient in their mind is only there for let's say a cleaning or they're only there because they want to talk about this crown or whatever. And they're not in the, under the proper realization. When you ask questions on the front end on the intake call, you can bring the patient to the proper realization so that they're better qualified when they come in the door. And that's really the first thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And that is, I have to tell you, one of the biggest issues. We have a five-step process. We call it LAMBS, which is basically listen for why the patient's calling. Mm -hmm. Take control then by asking questions. And along the way, magnify where the opportunities are. If you have a patient who hasn't been in the dentist in 25 years, 
then you need to ask some questions because the chances are that they're going to need more than just a cleaning, right? But if you don't ask those questions, then the patient shows up and in their mind, they're simply there for a cleaning. And then the last part of that is B, which is bring the patient to a proper realization and then set the final expectations. Now, when the patient comes to the chair, you've got a patient who's under the proper mindset, they're under the proper real, uh, realization, and they kind of have an idea of what's going on in their mouth rather than simply the reason they call. And now, how to create value, the short version of that is you simply find out what is most important to the patient emotionally and then show them how whatever it is that they need clinically is going to get them that. Now, that's a very short answer. The systematic approach to it, of course, there's a lot more to it, but, but that's the short answer. Am I putting you to sleep yet, Naren? No, you haven't. <laughs> I was just thinking about, uh, like, you know, how does this apply with Dr. Cialdini's influence principles? I know both of us are big fans of uh, Dr. Yes. Cialdini's influence yes. principles. So. Um, he talks about, um, you know, we tend to do business, uh, or we are more likely to say yes to people who, uh, who we see as authorities, who uh, we like, uh, who leverage commitment and consistency, um, and, and so forth, right? So yep. how are you applying? Principles. Yes, how are you applying those principles in that call, the LAMPS call that you talked about? Can you kind of walk me through it? Like, um, so from a, because doctors are, you know, science people, right? They understand psychology, they understand science. So when you use science and explain to them, how are those pieces kind of creating that, <clears throat> leveraging those principles so that at the end of the phone call, the person is more likely to book the appointment, more likely to show up, more likely to be receptive to what they have to say when they're at the office. Well, that's a great question. And you and I are both, are both fans of, of Caldini. Um, you know, there, there are six principles of influence, and you touched on most of, the, on most of those. Commitment and consistency, authority, liking, um, uh, and there are several more. Social proof. Social and proof. Capacity. Yeah. So, so um, of course, a lot of this is around uh, developing rapport. One of the things that if you do any reading at all um, or, or, or anything like that, you know that all of us like people who, uh, who allow us to tell <laughs> about ourselves <laughs> and what's important to us, right? Right. That's just, that's just human nature. I've learned this a thousand times. <laughs> Every time I'm on an airplane, I, I'll ask somebody, so where are you going? <laughs> and I'll ask a couple of questions. And they, you know, three hours later, I know everything about their children, their grandchildren, <laughs> and everything else. And they always like me because of that. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, but all of those principles come into play. And on the intake call, you know, if you simply listen for why the patient's calling and then try to tell them what a great doctor you work for and all of that and then schedule the appointment, you haven't really accomplished anything because the patient is going to walk in the door with the expectation of the reason that they called. Now, the truth of the matter is they, the reason that they called may be only a fraction of why they need to be calling. But if you don't ask them those questions and bring that out, then you're not able to set that expectation. So you're asking those questions so that you can find out the information. But the most important part is so that the patient can really tap in and understand um, when they're telling you the answers, you're bringing them to a new realization. When you're asking those open-ended questions, it hits exactly what Caldini is saying. You know, for instance, um, authority. I mean, the best way to generate authority is not to tell somebody anything, right? It's to ask. It's absolutely in the asking of questions. Now, that's a learned skill, but it's nevertheless true. So when the patient calls and tells you why they're calling and you begin to ask them questions, when's the last time you've been to the dentist? Do you have any bleeding when you brush? These kinds of things. And then you learn from the patient gets to tell about themselves. There's an interesting thing there. Commitment and consistency happens. If I'm going to open up and tell you the things that are most important to me, then what I'm communicating is that I trust you. And if I'm communicating that I trust you, there's a very strong urge for me to remain committed or consistent to that commitment of trust. And so you're developing that on the phone before the patient even comes in the door. Right. 
The other part is the side benefit, really. I mean, developing the relationship on the phone, you can't tell the patient anything and develop a relationship. I heard somebody say one time, anything you tell a patient is true, but it's only true for you. If you ask, then anything the patient tells you is true for them. And that's what you're looking to help is them. Right. That makes total sense. It's, you know, I love this stuff. And as, as you know, I mean, you and I can talk uh, forever about it. But I think the intake call, we haven't talked a whole lot about the actual value creation. The intake call is a huge, huge piece of this. Caldini stuff really comes into play big time when you have the patient sitting down in front of you. Let's, let's talk about that. So how do you create value the patient is in front of you face to face? You know, there's two parts to this, and like, like, <laughs> like, like everything, one part is how do you do it? Um, but, but the bigger part is tapping into your mindset to make sure that you're clear why you're doing it and where it is that you're trying to go. And I'll tell you a quick example. When I was, uh, I have a business degree, and when I was a junior in college, the, uh, I had a professor for a course. He happened to be the head of the department. And the course was called um, Consumer Buying Behavior. He was, a, he was an older guy, and uh, he always wore a cowboy hat, and he smoked a pipe. And he had big old fuzzy hair. like uh, He always reminded me of Albert Einstein. Hanging, ha- had this hair hanging out under his cowboy hat. But he walked in day one, this huge auditorium. There had to be 300 people in this course and he walked in and he he's handing out the syllabus and as he was handing out the syllabus he said nobody that you've ever known or ever will know including yourself has ever or will ever buy anything based strictly on price and then he was just silent and he let that sink in and i thought oh my gosh i don't think business is the right major for me i need to be somewhere else this is the craziest thing i've ever heard uh you know i'm i'm 20 years old everything i do is based on dollars and price and all of that but then he said something else he said instead of being based on price it's all based on our individual perception of value and that's what this course is about how it is to create value. I don't know that I really got that uh, when I was in college. I think, I think it was probably after college when I got the real education that I learned that what he's saying is really true. Um, we all justify our decisions based on logical things, dollars. I got a good deal. I needed it. It was for safety reasons or whatever. But make no mistake, we buy what we see value in and that is a very individual thing and it's also an emotional thing so if you think for a second there you know when you see a pepsi commercial they're not selling brown sugary carbonated liquid any more than coke is selling a brown sugary carbonated liquid both of those companies spend millions of dollars to try to have you connect an emotion to pepsi versus an emotion to coke right now, we have a better opportunity because in a commercial, they can't ask you questions. They have to do it all in focus groups. And they, you know, they have focus groups all over the world. They try to find out what most of the, you know, and, they, and then they base the emotion on that. But when you were the patient, it can be a very individualized process. You can find out if you're great, if you become great at asking questions and if you understand the importance of it, then you can ask and find out, have the patient open up their heart to you and tell you what it is that they're after emotionally uh, regarding their smile and their teeth. And once you know what it is that they want emotionally, when they've really opened up their heart, that commitment and that consistency plays a big part of that. Because if I'm going to open my heart to you face to face and tell you what's really on my heart, then I have a very strong pull to remain consistent with that commitment. And then once I've opened my heart to you and I've told you that I don't want to be embarrassed or I want to be more self-confident or I don't want to be self-conscious or I just want to be more confident, whatever it is I tell you, then you can show me how whatever it is that I need clinically is going to get me what it is that I want. But absent that value, absent that emotion, if you don't have that, then what you have is simply a problem and a solution. And with no value, then the patient says, well, how much does that cost? Or how much does my insurance cover? 
And that's really where you have to separate this in your mind. Even though uh, you hear your patients say, what does it cost? And, and what does the insurance cover and all that? You have to understand that what my professor said years ago is really true. None of us have ever or will ever buy anything based on cost. We buy based on our individual perception of value. So you have to ask and find out what's most important to them and then show them how that treatment can get them that. The interesting thing is too, though, as I said a moment ago, I, I'll say it a little differently. If the patient doesn't see value, then they have no other way to make the decision except dollars. I actually tried an experiment. I actually did an experiment. I had, I had a client, year, this has been years ago. Um, I was trying to get him to understand this concept, and he, he didn't quite get it. Um, he wasn't really buying into it because he had practiced for 35 years. And for 35 years, what he heard is, um, my patients can't afford it. They can't afford it. They can't afford it. They can't afford it. They can't afford it. And so after 35 years of this, he was convinced that his particular area was unlike any other area in the country. They could not afford dentistry. So the day I was there, he had a patient coming in. This was the third time that this patient had been diagnosed with a crown. I said, I'll tell you what, I want to, I want, I want to challenge you to do something here. Uh, he had told me how this particular patient was never, I can't remember the patient's name, but he said, I, th this patient is, uh, you know, can't afford the work. And so he's not going to get it. I said, if you really believe that it's about the dollars, let's do an experiment. When the patient comes in, here's what I want you to do. Tell him it's free. Give it to him for free and see if he'll take it. Now, I'm betting that the patient doesn't see value. And because of that, he's not going to take it even if it's free. If you believe that the issue is that it's only about the money, then if you give it to him for free, he should buy it, right? He should take it. Right. Well, long story short, the patient came in. He sat down, and the doctor started off really nicely. He said, whatever the patient's name was, he said, you know, um, you've been coming here for quite a long time, right? Right. Well, you know, the last three or four times you've been in here, I've told you about this crown that you need. And you've not gotten it done. And I'm really concerned about it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give it to you for free. No charge. Absolutely free. And we can do it today. And the patient goes, well, what does my insurance cover? He said, the insurance, is, there's, no, there's no insurance, okay? There's no insurance. I'm going to give you this and do it for free. Right. He said, well, what, what, what do I have to pay? No, you don't have to pay me anything. It's free. You need this done, and I'm going to do it for free. He goes, you know, that's really nice, you doc, and I'm sure you got great intentions. I tell you what, let me think about it, okay? I'm going to be back, I think, in three months let me, or, or six months. Let me think about it, and, uh, and, we'll, and, and we'll talk about it the next time I'm in. And that was it, and the patient didn't buy it. So I don't know how I got off on that story except to illustrate the fact that, you know, the how to actually do it, the steps to creating value, and we've got steps to follow but the steps to follow it are not nearly as important as your listeners really tapping into their mindset. And, you know, again, it's why I got into dentistry. Um, I'm, it's unfortunate, but uh, dental school is not teaching these things. And I often say it would be like me uh, taking my business degree and trying to cut crown preps for the rest of my life. But, um, you know, you're just not prepared. But um, that's really what attracted me to dentistry all these years ago. I was training these young guys uh, on things that were just, just, you know, four and five levels above where we are in healthcare. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a dentist, you've got the ability to change people's lives. You're not selling, you know, uh, popsicle sticks here. So, so learning to create value and really getting clear in your own mind that it's not about money. It's not about safety. It's not about need. It's really about value, and that's an emotional thing. And then training yourself on, on how to find out emotionally what's most important to the patient. Like I said, we have a process for doing it. But, but given the process is not going to get you where you want to go, you got to get clear in your head first. Right. But I think sometimes there's even things before that, right? Like, for example, if the doctor believes, you know, my clients don't have the money, they can't afford me or they can't, uh, you know, do good, you know, get good dentistry, he's going to live that belief system. 
his actions are going to reflect it. I, I've listened to phone calls. I've talked to clients. I mean, like when you talk to them, they themselves don't believe in, you know, the fact that this is worth something and it comes across. You're exactly right. And I, I, I've learned that what you say, Niran, I've learned that what you say is the number one thing that holds everyone back from success. And I don't mean success in terms of dollars. I'm talking about the four pillars of what you just talked about here. <laughs> you know, beliefs hold you back from being successful with your purpose, successful with relationships, successful with your time and your money. I mean, at the end of the day, your beliefs are everything. We spend a lot of time, um, you know, trying to vet our clients on whether or not they're willing to challenge their own beliefs. Yeah. I hope, you know, I, I was, I was going to say, I hope that one day somebody, uh, I hope that when I'm, when I'm 95, I'm still challenging my own beliefs. Yeah. Like for example, if I think uh, I have a bad marriage, you know, I'm going to live into that story. Yes. If I think, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a good writer. I'm going to live into that story. If I think my patients can't afford my services, I'm going to live into that belief. I mean, it, life is a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, and if you think the opposite, the opposite is going to come true. Just like, you know, what I just said is going to come true. You know, it all comes down to how you believe, what you believe. And, and the question is, can you change your beliefs? Can you change the way you do things? There are some people that, that, that rely so heavily on their comfort zone that they're not willing to, to get past those beliefs. And, and, and everything you're saying is absolutely 100% true. There is no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, we, we, we run into it all the time. I heard somebody say once that if you really think about it, your beliefs are simply a product of things like your upbringing, your background, your knowledge base, your education base. They're not fact. They're just based in your references. So somebody who story, hasn't, it's a story you make up, you know? Yeah. I suck at math because maybe when I was five years old, you know, I got a zero and my teacher I have this conversation with my 14 year old all the time. <laughs> you don't yeah. suck at math, but no, you're, you're exactly right. You know, you can, if you're willing to, if you're open to be influenced and if you're willing to challenge your belief, then, you know, the way to do it is to go get new references. I mean, you know, I used to believe in, uh, in Santa Claus and, uh, and, and, and in a lot of ways, I absolutely believe in the magic that all of that represents for the children, but I no longer believe in, in Santa Claus. And, uh, and my, and I, and I have to be willing to grow. I have to be willing to, to challenge that. Um, I think I heard, I think it was Tony Robbins who said, you know, it's, it's not a, a belief is simply an idea that with time becomes more solid. It's like a table. It starts off as a floating cloud, but, but pretty soon with more references in your experiences, it becomes more solid like a tabletop. And then as you get older and you have more references for that belief, it, it gains legs and then it becomes more permanent for you. Um, but at the end of the day, if you have a belief that um, our patients will go for this. And I have a belief that our patients won't go for this. Well, who's right? Who's wrong? Who cares? Yeah. What I probably need to do is say, which of those beliefs would best serve the things that I'm trying to serve? And, you know, we, we've, I've, I've honed those things down over the years. I've, I've, uh, I've challenged offices and groups, big and small and state associations all over America and Canada and the Caribbean I've asked this question and I've thrown this out as a submission. I would submit at the end of the day, there are only four things that you try to serve and everything in your practice, in your mind, in your team, in your steps, in your processes should be laid out to serve those four things. It can't serve three. It's got to serve four. And that's your vision. That's your team. That's your patience. And that's your bottom line profitability. And I believe that no matter what the challenge is, there's always a way to serve each of those four things. So my beliefs, I need to take out of that decision making. Um, and I need, to, I need to make decisions in a way that serve those four things. Creating value is a perfect example. Financials, intake calls, you know, marketing companies. 
you know, I can't hold, I can't hold your company responsible for whether or not my patient accepts treatment. I can't hold your company responsible for whether or not the patient who called actually shows up. I mean, your company is designed to make my phone ring. If my phone is ringing, that's what I'm looking for. Everything else is up to me. Right. Absolutely. I mean, this is awesome stuff. And um, it's not easy, though. I guess um, to, when it comes to change, when it comes to changing your beliefs, um, I think step one is you have to break your old beliefs. You have to realize that's just a story you made up. Oh, my patients can't afford me or my patients don't appreciate health, you know, being healthy. Whatever the story you made up, first you have to break that and realize it's a story you made up. It's not true. Then I think, if I'm not mistaken, then you have to start creating new stories, new beliefs, yes. new ways of looking at the world. And then you have to see success in it. And when you have a coach who helps you, helps or shows you that you're succeeding with it, now you start creating new beliefs, new stories, new ways to look at the world. Gaining those references is what it boils down to. I was just in a practice in Missouri um, <laughs> several weeks ago. And now, now here's the challenge. The person who answers the phone was the same person who dealt with the financial arrangements in this particular practice. And so we weren't working with the practice. We were in there to do what I call a, a full analysis, which is a basically a, a full exam of what's working and what's not and where the opportunities are. And, and anyway, to make the long story short, she spent 30 minutes telling me how nobody in, um, in her area now, this is the person who not only handles the finances, but takes the, first, takes the initial phone call. She was convinced that nobody in the area had any money. They couldn't afford yeah. the dentistry. Right. Um, and she spent all of this time explaining this to me. And then a patient walked in with an emergency. This particular patient still owed them $300 from a year and a half ago. Okay. Mm. And... Now the patient has an emergency. They've never tried to create value. They've never tried to interrupt the patient's pattern to have him see value in coming in on a six-month basis for prevention purposes, right? He's just the never-ending patient, never-ending emergency patient who owes them all this money. And so as the patient came in, because she's operating from this belief, she never mentioned the amount of money that was owed. Right. They had the patient come in. They did a, a quick exam. They took x-rays. They made a diagnosis. The patient left. She never even asked for money. Yeah. I said, as the patient's leaving, I said, come here, come here, come here. Get, get out from behind the desk. Come here. And I opened the curtain to see in the parking lot, he's driving a 2018 Cadillac. <laughs> There's a reference right there. That's right. how you develop a new belief. <laughs> right, right. He has money, but he wants to pay for it. <laughs> That's exactly right. And if you, you know, it's not hard to get other references. I mean, there are plenty of people, you know, take somebody to lunch that's successful and find out, you know, the references that they have that prove that they're, um, oh, I tell you what, listen, you got me on beliefs, Nair, and I love this. Um, <laughs> There was a presidential candidate in the last election, um, doctor, uh, he was a neurosurgeon. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name, but I can see him. He's, he's a short guy. He's, uh, Dr. Ben Carson. I couldn't ben remember his Carson. name. Ben Carson. Yes, Dr. Uh, Carson. I have so much respect for, for Dr. Ben Carson. I have a client who um, is, is only a couple of miles from where Dr. Ben Carson was, was born. Uh, in Michigan. It's a very rough area. And so I saw an interview with, with, with Dr. Carson, not recently, not, 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 not too long ago. Dr. Carson is world renowned for the work that he's done in, in neuroscience. I think specifically he's known for um, separating, separating conjoined twins. I believe right. that's right. Right. So one of the things he said is he said, you know, he said, I come from a place in Detroit where most Americans would be afraid to roll their window down as they drive through the neighborhood. He said, there are people that are in that neighborhood to this day that I grew up with that are smarter than I am. Um, they're more capable than I am. And the only difference in my success 
and their lack of success is the beliefs that I have in my head. And my grandmother instilled in me that I can become whatever I can dream of becoming. And there is nothing holding me back. But there are people, again, that are more capable and more um, intelligent than I am that are from that area and they're still there because they do not believe that. That's the power of beliefs. Absolutely. And the other thing is, I find um, a lot of times you can do this. It's like chipping away at a, you know, I remember watching that movie Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've seen it, but. Love that movie. Love that. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, they chip away and they finally break through the prison. Right. And it's like that. You don't need to like, it's just those tiny steps, those tiny, you know, it's like driving at night. It's just those tiny steps that, so a lot of people overthink this, you know, they, they don't get started. They just get paralyzed and they don't move. And, and the people who are successful, they just take tiny steps and then they build on it and then they build on it. And uh, I was talking to a, a veterinarian yesterday. We work with veterinary doctors as well as dentists. And she's nine years into practicing veterinary medicine. So she built this business that does, uh, you know, in-home, you know, euthanasia for pets. And uh, she wow. has... 300 and some doctors working for her. Wow. She's nine years out of school. And, but in the veterinary profession, most doctors hate the profession, not most, but a lot of them, because there's something they call compassion fatigue. They see, you know, not being able to take care of pets and pets dying. And, you know, the the pet owners or the parents as they're called, you know, not appreciating the vets and all that stuff. And here, here, here is, the same person, same, same kind of a person, very young doctor who deals with euthanasia day in and day, day out. And she built this massive business. It's the That's same awesome. world. It just, uh, you know, how she looks at it, how she sees things. And um, she was telling me her story about when she was young, you know, she, she loved horses and, you know, she would feed them and all that stuff. And she did it because she loved it. And uh, it all comes down to how you see things and um, what you believe. And it just, anyways, it's very interesting. It, it, it's, 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 it's extremely interesting. I mean, even as, even as, uh, um, even as short as maybe 10 years ago, if I was standing in front of uh, a group at uh, maybe the, the Chicago midwinter or something like that, if I were to use the word sales, um, you know, the beliefs that are attached to the word sales, I would see snarled up noses and wrinkled up mouths. And, you know, <laughs> I, I would have to use different words just to get past the, uh, the beliefs that people have that are attached to, to the word sales. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's everything. There's just no doubt about it. It's, it's, it's 100% um, your beliefs. Right. Um, I can keep talking to you <laughs> forever. Um, I can as well, Ned. I to, the two of us together, we can, we can just, we can entertain each other for hours. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, let me ask you this. Um, tell me a little bit more about um, if, if I'm a dentist and I'm interested in, you know, working with you. Like, what's the best way for me to get a hold of you? Like. Do you, do you talk to dentists? I mean, like, can they reach you? Uh, do you have any events? I'm just curious, like, how, how do you help dentists who perhaps haven't worked with you yet? Well, I appreciate that. You know, the best place to, uh, to find me is at www.thecrabtreegroup.com. And from there, you know, we've got courses, we've got online coaching, we've got what we call the full immersion program. Um, and, and that is probably the best way to interact with us. Uh, incidentally, I would love to uh, any of your listeners who would like to follow us on social media. We have a closed Facebook group um, that uh, we'd love to have you apply for. There's a couple of quick questions that my producer um, will, uh, will have you get through as a filter. Um, but they're basically just quick questions. And we'd love to have you join our Facebook group. It's called Dental Profits. And you can find it if you just go to Facebook and uh, and search for Dental Profits. Absolutely. And is that a place where people can ask questions and get help? 
it is a closed group that we are heavily, heavily, heavily involved in. We're, we're putting videos out on a daily basis. Um, you know, and it, because it's a closed group, we're, we're very, uh, there are things that we do in that group that we don't do in our other media like YouTube and Instagram and, and some of our other Facebook groups. Um, it's specific to dental and we're, 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 we're talking at great depth in terms of things like we talked about in much greater depth, LAMBS, PLAST, RPM, and all of these systems that we implement when it comes to intake calls or creating value, the financial arrangement or reinstatement or working through challenges. Um, we, we get, we get very in depth in that closed group in ways that uh, we don't do in any other place. So we'd love to have you join that. That's awesome. That's really, that's really awesome. You know, so, and there's no cost to join that group. It's absolutely free and it's great information. Um, we do live video, we do live uh, broadcast um, twice a week. And so we're answering questions through the group. Um, of course you can always comment and ask questions after the fact. Um, we, we, we really, uh, there's a lot of good folks in that group and they're all dental group. It's a, it's a small group We're you know, we're not looking for 25,000 people. We, we try to keep it specific to dentistry and it's not any kind of selling and stuff. It's all, it's all free. That's awesome. That's awesome. I really enjoy talking to you. We'll include your website, uh, all your contact details uh, along with the call notes, if that's okay with you. That's so. great. That's great, sir. I, uh, I, I, it's, it's been, it's been an honor. I, I really enjoy you and I think the same way and it's always refreshing to, uh, to speak with somebody who shares the same beliefs and has the same attitudes and values that I do. Yeah. I mean, my, my philosophy is uh, your job is to do good for others and your, your success will be a byproduct of you taking care of others and you doing yeah. good for others. So what I like to do is to figure out, you know, how we can help our clients or help our team members grow. And when we do that, things just happens. They, they take, it takes care of itself, doesn't it? Right. And um, the first eight years of my life, it was about me, me, me. And I went nowhere because when you are about <laughs> me, 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 it doesn't go So the minute you switch to, you know, my job is to help others. My job is to think and help others succeed. Um, like Dale Carnegie said, you know, the world is full of people who are grabbing and self-seeking in that world, the rare individual who focuses on helping others get what they want has no competition. Yeah. So uh, anyways, yeah. And uh, I loved our conversation today. I, I, we will share all of this on social media, on iTunes. If you, as a listener, love what you're hearing, please share it on social media. Please write a review for us on iTunes. Uh, reach out to Sean, reach out to us. We are more than glad to help. Um, you know, Sean, you also have a podcast, correct? Yes, we do. We do a podcast um, that uh, that goes out once a week on Fridays. And you were on that podcast not long ago. We had a blast. Right. Um, yeah, that goes out on Fridays. And then we share that with uh, just about all of our. So, you know, you, you can find that on YouTube if you search the Crabtree Group or the Crabtree Network. Um Let's see, Instagram, the Sean Crabtree, Twitter, the Sean Crabtree. Yeah. Awesome. And that also is available on iTunes through our website. That's what I should have mentioned. Through our website, that's, that's available through uh, all of the major ones. However you listen, you can consume that through our site at thecrabtreegroup.com. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Sean, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon on another podcast. Have a wonderful weekend. And Sean, enjoy the water. Enjoy your, enjoy your lake. Uh, man, thank you, sir. It has been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you soon.